Welcome to another episode of the Crypto Conversion Podcast. As always, Brandon, Connor, and Matt here. So before we get started, we just want to have everybody, if you're watching this, like, comment, review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, uh, listen wherever podcasts are found, turn on that notification bell, all the things, anything you need to get caught up or get updates for new episodes be a great way. We love to get you involved in the audience and we just want to keep growing our community and please share this with any other Christians that are in web3 because we want to bring the church into this new wacky web3 world and ultimately just educate the church about crypto and how the values of crypto and the church align and the ways that they're similar and the way that they're not. That's what we're here to do, just to engage that conversation. So, so, so even if even if they're not Christians in Web three, get Christians who are interested in Web three or crypto, yeah. or who are even skeptical of it and just want to hear more, you know, opinions on it. Absolutely, get everyone, and, and even get your Web three friends that aren't so Christian. It's a great way to evangelize them. So, um. Yeah, just wanted to put that disclaimer out there because I feel like we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we weren't trying to grow. Now, let's get into the news, guys. Um, I guess let's start with the big one for Twitter there. Uh, Dogecoin, once again, making itself known. Uh, it, and uh, <laughs> Matt, I think you said something earlier. I'll let you, you kind of kick off the conversation with the meme and, and Elon, or is it Doge itself that Elon is interested in? Well, so yeah, that's what I was, I was saying. Like, what is it? You know, everybody, like, they think it's Dogecoin, but like, he's he's a meme guy, right? And Doge, the meme, is a lot older than Doge, the coin, right? So I um, I don't know. I mean, that's the question. Is it is it a supportive Dogecoin? Is it simply a doge meme um you know because there's all the time you know anytime elon or anybody influential on twitter says something everyone's like oh oh he's actually supporting this project that you know the one word in there you know he supported it so um anyway so that's uh that's the question is it the meme or is it the coin um oh the the best take i saw on this is somebody tweeted and said um i'd like to imagine it was an april fool's prank and it just took a few days to deploy <laughs> that's good no i mean we we are talking about the guy that bought twitter because babylon b basically got it got axed from the platform so i could he he has a sense of humor about him if he's if he's checking in on the babylon b and and making himself accessible to them so at least we can appreciate that about elon you know despite um what you what qualms you might have about him uh he He's got a sense of humor about it. That's true. I mean, this is because he's been a big proponent of Dogecoin for a while. In fact, he said that he was going to make Dogecoin the official currency of Twitter. So, and a number of people are saying, I mean, despite how uh, poorly I would say the tokenomics of Dogecoin itself um, actually work, um, with someone like Elon behind it and his propensity for memes, I wouldn't be surprised to see Dogecoin become a usable Twitter currency. Well, Ben, I, I would... ben, DeFran ben DeFrancisco from Scopelift even shared, uh, he shared a tweet from like 
five years ago where he was talking about the potential of Doge. So, I mean, if if that's somebody who we kind we have, we respect in the space, and if he's going to go off on a whim like that and say something about it, I'm not going to take it lightly. So Dogecoin is the first one I bought. You know, I don't know if that's everyone's first, but um, the I I will say you, you know we could say that tokenomics are are bad. It I mean it works like Bitcoin. It's proof of work, right? So for any qualm you have with proof of stake, it's it's proof of work like but Bitcoin. But it's unlimited, isn't it? Uh, yes, it's not capped. Like it's never going to reach infinity, right? It would take infinite time to reach infinity, right? And so for Anybody who says, well, I want cryptocurrency, but like my one thing is that I do think the dollar should have a 2% inflation rate, you know, like Dogecoin achieves that, right? It's not, maybe it's not 2% right now, but like it's a, it's a fixed amount. And so as time goes on, it technically keeps lowering till it's, you know, practically 0% inflation, but um I, I don't know. There, There is something to be said. I know one of the qualms with Bitcoin, one of the ways people attack it is that they say that the, the security budget keeps going down every time, you know, it gets halved and like, oh, well, yeah. in that sense, Dogecoin's security security budget does not go down, right? <laughs> A- anyway, I don't know. I Like, I'm not... It, I don't yeah. own any Doge. I, I'll throw that disclaimer out as well. But I, you know, I respect it. I think it has it has a lot of respectable features about it. And I think, um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe what I'm trying to say is you can spin any tokenomics the way you want to. What, what um, is what is the relationship but, between Doge and uh, Litecoin? I heard that there's like there's a relationship there between the Litecoin community and the Dogecoin community, and basically, kind of like Doge is like litecoin's community litecoin communities uh like crap coin just for fun and it was it was never meant to be taken so seriously i'm i've always been curious because i heard there's a connection there between litecoin and doge i don't know about the connection to litecoin but um i do know that uh the creator of dogecoin himself like people have asked him since it became more seriously spoken of like you know, about kind of the protocols, uh, smart contracts or not smart contracts, but, uh, just how the protocol works and, you know, different things like that. And he's like, his response has always just been like, you know, I created this as a meme. Like I ripped off, he, maybe he ripped off like light coins, um, white paper. It could have be, I know he didn't, uh, spend a lot of time coding that himself. So it's a copycat. Um, there's really nothing special about it, but I'm not a Dogecoin hater. It's just sure, I, and I'm not a Dogecoin <laughs> lover either. I just, you know, yeah. I think there's certain respectable things. I think, you know, yeah. if you have uh, every or not every crypto, but there are enough cryptos that are slightly different from each other that, like, oh, if this is your complaint with this one, like, well, actually, this other one that you hate, you know, solves yeah, that, true. right? Um, so, I don't know. Just based on the correlation charts between the two of them. They have a very similar movement. I'm not sure what the connection is because both of them go back like in terms of like crypto that's been around for a while. Those two in particular, they've been around for a long time in retrospect to the space. So I I don't think Dogecoin is going anywhere. Uh, Mark Cuban has even said that out of all the cryptocurrencies that people have used on the Dallas Mavericks merchandise website, Dogecoin was the leader in terms of what people used for 
sales uh, when he enabled crypto. So uh, um, Dogecoin, keep on dogeing along, I guess, because there seems to be more utility there than what a lot of projects can claim. So with that being said, respect. I just I looked it up because I I was curious. I saw a blurb about it, but I I just wanted sure. to share. So the connection Litecoin and Dogecoin, um, you can use, and and this is interesting because this is um, I've I've heard it thrown around as a theoretical concept, and and sure. apparently there's some applications. But if you're mining one, you can use like the same mining setup to like run oh. the other one at the same time. So you're you're like solving the same algorithm, but like you know. You're checking your answers on both, I guess. I I don't know exactly okay. how it works, but but merged mining is what they call it. Okay, thank yeah. you for clarifying that because I knew there was something, but I yeah. wasn't sure to what extent. So okay, that which that is a cool idea, sense. right? If you were to yeah. launch a new proof of work currency right now, it would be hard to get enough mining power behind it. Like if you can, you know, latch onto some existing thing, that would be uh, the way to do it. So I would latch onto Monero. So I've just double checked too. And it's, um, it says that uh, Mocus designed Dogecoin protocol based on existing cryptocurrencies, Lucky Coin and Litecoin. Mm. So it uses the same script technology. And Lucky Coin doesn't, isn't, that one doesn't exist anymore. I'm pretty sure. If it does, it's at the bottom of the. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. you could go on some Coin of the Gecko old list. cryptocurrency websites and you can see a ton of projects that are not even available what makes, for anybody to do anything with what makes so, a project like that disappear though everybody just stops mining it like if there's one miner left like it's still running right yeah well I, also technically like, working and like you know being active I, I i don't know i might call it dead yeah. if if nobody's holding it if there's well, no exchange, also too though like we have to remember that crypto a lot of crypto is uh there's a level of just like marketability to a project too. Like if you don't have marketing behind it, it, it sometimes doesn't even go, uh, it doesn't go anywhere. So it's, it's it, just interesting. And we've been in crypto such a short amount of time that like, you know, I feel like I'd see enough posts from people, you know, who've been in longer and they say, no, look, you know, next cycle, some of the projects this cycle won't be doing anything next cycle. You know, yeah, they'll I mean, die I, before we even get to next cycle or, you know, they'll die with the next cycle. And so, so Dogecoin is impressive that it had been around for so long and it like had its biggest run up relative to Bitcoin, you know, in this cycle. Not that we, <laughs> I don't know how we're doing this. We're going to move the topic along. So, you don't this whole, ep this is not the Dogecoin episode. We'll do a separate Dogecoin episode. Yeah. I would actually like to do basically a what Brandon's trying to say is uh, he supports Dogecoin. Everybody should go out and buy it. It has his backing. I'm not saying anybody buy Dogecoin. <laughs> I lost more financial that, advice. <laughs> I lost a ton investing in Dogecoin. Um, so I'm not going to advise people to buy that project. But I will say, tell people to buy a Cyber Bible. So. Um, <laughs> but that's because that's the word of God. So that's different. Yeah. Get your feet wet in the NFT space. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next, uh, next item. So sure. I guess, uh, I guess something I saw that was kind of interesting, um, with the Shanghai upgrade coming up, I'm not sure what you guys have been looking at in regards to that, but Ethereum has been 
moving and cruising. Uh, a little bit of a bull run this week on ETH. I'm not sure why and what's what's stemming uh, or what's what's kind of, I guess, causing that. But if it's anticipation of the Shanghai upgrade and all of that ETH from Lido and Rocket Pool um, getting uh, getting pushed out there to the masses, I'm I'm not sure if if that's if that's what the uh, if that's what the um, you you get what I'm saying, like if that's what the excitement is coming out to be, I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are, what you might know about the Shanghai upgrade. We haven't really talked about it that much on the podcast, but it's kind of the the relevant uh, discussion in the Ethereum space. I I wonder if it's just a case of the the maxim like buy the rumor, sell the news, you know? So like, I, I don't know if it's, you know, there is hype, everyone's talking about it. So I'm going to buy it. People are buying it because it's being talked about. And, uh, but yeah, I definitely wonder, I've been kind of anticipating, trying to imagine, not predict, but imagine what would happen. Um, you know, once, once people can unstake, cause people have staked there, they've had some of this Ethereum has been staked for years. Um, you know, mm-hmm. while they've been working on the test net before it finally merged to proof of stake, um, people had been staking well in advance. And, and I think, um, uh, you see at different times. So Lido, um, is a protocol that stakes, and then they issue you a token that staked ETH, you know, mm-hmm. so that you can still have this fungible representation of, you know, this transferable represent, not fungible, transferable representation of your stake, um, and it is fungible as well, but um, you have, there have been certain times where like people were bearish enough on staking that, you know, this staked ETH token was trading decently below actual Ethereum prices. Um, you know, theoretically, they should be one-to-one. If anything, they, you know, you might imagine staked is a little higher because, you know, there's a um, utility to that. There's earning on that. Um, but uh, anyway, so I, I definitely thought that was interesting. That that has been interesting to see. I um, I don't know. I worry. I wonder how much of a dump we'll see people finally unstake. Yeah, people kind of say, like, one thing is exciting because it's the Ethereum uh, chain moving along. This has been scheduled. This is good news. But the other side of it is, you know, how many of these people, once they can finally get their ease back, are looking to dump it so they can get the cash? You really don't know. But derivative yeah. derivative traders are are emphasizing caution. So take that with uh, with what you uh, with what you subscribe to from the news portion of it. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this particular upgrade. Lastly, um, let's touch on the whole Arbitrum uh, governance, um, considering that our our topic today is going to be DAOs and governance. Um, That was wild. Uh, I thought Arb was going to be the drop of the year. Everybody was talking about, you know, how great of a project Arbitrum is, how, how lucky we are to be living in an age where we we get to witness the greatness of Arbitrum as a project. Uh, I I mean I'm I th- it's kind of like I just don't know if it's it's all it seems like all sizzle no steak. You get you get you guys get what I'm saying a little bit. It's like is there really like are they really what they say they are? And um, 
I, that's just been my question the whole time amidst this Arbitrum drop. Um, I was excited about it initially, and I was like, hmm, I really want to, I really want to invest in this a little bit. But now I'm, I'm definitely looking at it like treating it with kids gloves. And we've had this similar conversations around projects like Chainlink and, um, you know, these these L2s that claim to be doing something that they really might not be doing actually so i just want to hear your thoughts and just set the record straight um with arbitrum could you tell me brandon because maybe because you've been following it a little longer i haven't really been i haven't followed arbitrum um that much what exactly was it that excited everybody about this second layer so people were it's so it's similar to like optimus basically where people were putting their eth in in anticipation of uh of a of the token drop so uh, it, it was it's kind of like all of those l2 token drops where you put a bunch of eth in and you're gonna get something out of it so they were trying to do something like that and arbitrum has apparently been working with different uh you know Ba- projects as a base layer like apparently they have a partnership with reddit and other uh other internet companies like that uh, i don't know what their role is if it's advisory or if it's actually of significance but um apparently things have been being built out on arbitrum for a while now but uh this was their this was the big thing that everybody was waiting for was this was arb to release a token and uh it just hasn't really been what they said it would be so my question is is arbitrum as good at what they do as they say that they are that's my question so yeah i I think part of the excitement around the airdrop as well um i i don't follow enough l2s which is funny because i feel like i'm always talking about l2s but i don't follow specific ones i just follow the theory um but the Arbitrum, I think, was like the top in at least some metrics. I don't know if it was like value locked in the layer two or if it was transactions yeah. made or things like that. It, there was some one or a few metrics that um, was higher than all the other L2s. And so there's definitely excitement around, um, hey, this might be the one, you know, which is kind of funny because I think the point of L2s, of layer twos, is that um, if they all relay back to the layer one, you can have a lot of L2s, you know, and they can all kind of serve different purposes as long as, you know, they keep, uh, they're active enough and they keep sending things back to layer one. Um, so I, I think that was part of it is, you know, wanting to own the token. This should be highly valued because it is, um, you know, it is one of the most active ones or, you know, in whatever metric it, it was. Um, so the debacle, the what happened recently in the last week. So it, it airdrop, so on and so forth. I, I don't know. I didn't, I don't follow airdrops that often. I don't know what the conditions were, if it was simply like how much you used, you know, Arbitrum as a, as a network or, you know, how much you had locked there. And, um, but the, um, the, the debacle, the ARB is not used for gas fees. They use Ethereum as far as I know for their gas fees. They use, or Ether, they use Ether for their gas fees. Um, Ethereum is the chain. So the purpose of ARB was to be used as a governance token. And this is just, it's gosh, funny. And we always talk about, right, the difference between decentralization and centralization. Um, The 
ARB, like if you read the documents, even before they airdropped ARB, the ARB token, they, there were kind of these pre-allocations. Um, I, I think I'm pretty sure all of these pre-allocations were like set in the document, you know, and it was like, Hey, this much ARB is going to airdrop. And then this much ARB is going to, um, you know, the foundation and this much, you know, so on and so forth. And so what happened was they made the first proposal. The first arbitrage proposal was, you know, Hey, can we send 750 million ARB to the foundation to, you know, to use at their discretion, essentially, you know, and, and to sum it up and people, I think at first it was like looking like it was going to be a yes. And then people started saying no. And then at some point, you know, someone looked at the on-chain stuff and saw that they had already moved the 750 million tokens. And it, gosh, it, this is just the worst way to handle it. It's like, why would you put something up to a vote if you didn't want it voted on? Right. Like if, if you would have just said, Hey, this is the pre-allocation they're getting it and they're not going to vote with it. You know, why didn't you say that in the first place? Like, like, why did you, uh, yeah, gosh, I don't know. It, it was funny. And so they like moved it to an exchange and sold a bunch because they needed to pay expenses. And, but, but it was against the community vote. It ended up, I think as a no. And, um, and then one of the, and sorry, I'm rambling a lot or I'm going off a lot here, but, um, ranting a lot and I'm rambling, but that was a ramble. The, um, what made it worse is part of the justification I was seeing from people. They were like, no, this was not like the true governance vote. This was like the temperature vote. And they quoted, or they, they linked or screenshotted one of Arbitrum's documents. And the document said, you know, Hey, first we'll have this unofficial temperature vote. And then it will, you know, if it passes the temperature vote, it will move forward, you know, maybe get feedback and then move forward to that true vote, to, you know, to be implemented. And so it's like, okay, so you didn't screw over people on a real vote. You screwed over people on the pre-vote to determine whether or not it becomes a real vote. They said, no, we don't even want this to be a real vote. And then you said, okay, well, I'm doing it anyway. So I, I, don't, I just think it was handled poorly. I think it, you know, highlights how centralized Arbitrum still is. Um, I don't want to necessarily FUD. I, you know, for all I know, Arbitrum is still, you know, dedicated to being a good layer too, and they want to achieve more decentralization. Um, you know, I, 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 th th this could have just been a, <laughs> the worst PR ever. Maybe they got to hire a PR guy to help them out with decisions like this. Um, but, uh, so I, I don't know, I'm not necessarily doubting like the future of Arbitrum as a whole, but it definitely casts a little bit of doubt on like, is the token worth anything at least right now while all this power is still centralized? Yeah. Um, so one of my favorite Twitter follows for airdrop information, Crypto Snooper. Um, it's funny because he shared on uh, March 5th, the Discord chat of Ed Felton, one of the co-founders of Arbitrum, basically uh, saying in their community Discord, "No, we are we are not planning an Arbitrum token." And that was in 2020. So, um, and Crypto Snooper basically hinted at like Optimism, Uniswap, and many more projects said similar things. 
Um, and uh, he just kind of he's he's big on uh, looking for the airdrop opportunities. Um, and so basically, if a project says never, we're never going to do it. Don't take take that with a grain of salt is basically what I'm trying to say, because if the opportunity is right, th- trust me, they they will. Um, it's just only a matter of time. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't, you know, I'm not going to say even never for us, depending on what happens at the ebbs and flows of what we end up doing with, with, with our project we have here. (laughs) We're not, we're not going (laughs) to launch a token, but we're never, who knows what kind of projects come our ways. And to, to be honest, we're going to make mistakes We're we're, we're going to, we're going to talk about something or or maybe endorse something and we really shouldn't and we'll do the best we can to make sure that we're giving the the most honest and thorough evaluations that we can but just just note that these projects they're not infallible like they're, they're going to screw you some one way or another depending on how you look at it so just do your due due diligence and just take everything with a grain of salt when it comes to this space, because if there's an opportunity for a money grab, I, I anticipate the opportunity They're They're not going to just sit on their hands. So yeah, that, I guess that's kind of what can lead into our topic essentially with DAOs and governance. Uh, last in news, yeah. last news, just to throw in there. Um, <laughs> we'll throw a link in the description. Um, the Catholic crypto, who put on the Catholic crypto conference Sorry about that. Um, yeah. now also has a Catholic crypto discord um, that was kind of announced in the newsletter this week. And so we'll have a link to join, just join us. We're all there right now. And then we'll have, uh, you know, a, there are other people there as well. And, and we'll just have a good conversation about um, what it means to be, um, you know, connect these two ideas, Catholicism and cryptocurrency. Or if you're Connor, you can connect Christianity and cryptocurrency, be a little more general with it. <laughs> There's there's a lot of subcategories in there too that Matt needs help building out. So if you want to be the owner of the of some of those subcategories, yeah. jump on it because the opportunity is there. Be be the subject matter expert because I'm looking at it right now and there is a ton. If you start participating now, you might uh, you know get a premium for the uh, the Catholic crypto token drop, right? <laughs> no. Uh, um, uh, no, just kidding. All right. Um, all right. Let's get into governance tokens, though. So um, governance, uh, you, as we kind of mentioned, with the Arbitrum, you know, wanting to be a DAO. So DAO, D-A-O, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Um, the joke is that it's none of them, you know, none of the three. Um, so, you know, we've obviously talked about decentralization before, um, you know, autonomous, it should be able to work kind of on its own. Um, so even the way Arbitrum worked, it's not autonomous, right? Because people had to vote and then it seemed like the foundation still had to execute whatever the result of the vote was, um, as an organization, you know, they seem organized enough, you know, maybe (laughs) some are, some aren't. Um, so anyway, so DAOs, uh, have been doing a lot, I think. The first DAO, what was it, 2015 or 2016, the DAO, 
Um, and there's a hack with it. Um, anyway, there's, there's a DAO for everything right now. Um, and so, uh, lots of experiment. I like looking at it in kind of an experimental lens, you know, how, what are they trying to achieve? Are they able to achieve it? Can they, you know, how decentralized can they get? How autonomous can they get? Um, how, uh, interesting can they be with the way governance works? You know, how do they change the incentives? So, um, yeah, I don't know. Initial thoughts. What are your initial thoughts on DAOs? Are you in any I DAOs? Think, yeah, I think yeah, I think it's kind of interesting actually in relation to what we were just talking about with Obatrum. Like I've seen a lot of projects that didn't necessarily need any token drops. And the way they get a token drop either to raise funds or maybe there's some other purpose behind it, but they'll they'll launch basically a governance token and create a DAO. And I haven't just seen this with um not just with Arbitrum, uh, like you mentioned, Arbitrum mentioned that they would never um, come out with a governance token um, or have any sort of token airdrop because it's not really necessary. They don't need it for the protocol. Uh, another one is Tornado Cash was the same way. It doesn't actually need a, to a token to function. And so it functioned for the first couple of years with no token. Um, and then they they ended up uh, creating a DAO and then creating the Torn token as a as a governance token to go ahead and vote on proposals to update and to maintain um, the Tornado Cash protocol and and maybe that's a good thing, but it's it's adding it's creating uh, token functionality, um, whereas something like ETH doesn't have to have any sort of like governance um, purpose behind it because it's necessary for the protocol right as a as a gas fee function. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I just think like that's kind of a big part of what this topic is all about is like, does Web3 need decentralized governance? In what cases does it need it? And in what cases, um, you know, is this maybe hurting what we're trying to do? My thoughts with DAOs and something that people should be wary of when you are researching a DAO or trying to understand a community think it's important to you know kind of put those put those uh what do you call it like kind of like the bs glasses on um if it if it's too good to be true it's probably too good to be true like use your better judgment i think y y you can have get a pretty good gut feeling like if a dao is just you know speaking in crypt crypto platitudes essentially um i i wonder some of the some of the projects that um were such small cap um but had like such a inflated evaluation you go on their websites like i wonder how many of those linkedin accounts sometimes are actually real or if it's just like somebody's face that they that they put a you know a random name generator and then created a linkedin account for just to be able to, you know, make their project look like it had real people surrounding it. So make sure you're vetting your projects well and understand the objectives of the DAO. Um, make sure that what they're doing is actually what they're doing and just ultimately be a part of the conversation. Jump in a lot of DAOs, learn how you can help the DAO. Um, see if you can maybe help them out with being like somebody who can evaluate things for them just become an asset to the community if you want to be a part of DAOs. Uh, this is coming from somebody who we really respect in the space and who i spoke to about how to get more involved in the space and right now 
DAOs are the way to go. You just got to find the right ones that pique your interest. And honestly, that's probably the way to go right now if you want to work in the Web3 space. Get paired up with DAOs that um, you align with and see if you can bring them value. Yeah, I think like part of putting the BS glasses on though in a way is like analyzing like, okay, why, why DAO, you know? Sure. Um, particularly in relation to like, oh, Patromo. I, I think actually one of the better examples is Chainlink. Like that mm-hmm. was a totally useless um, token. For a long time, it wasn't even a governance token. It had no utility. It was just a method for Chainlink to basically raise raise money for the protocol. Um, and then they've started to, and I, I don't know how live this is now, but they do have an amount of uh, governance where um, basically people can vote on the accuracy of uh, information that's being put onto the Oracle. Um, so maybe that might have some sort of democratic benefit there, but for a long time, it was just, it was just a profit raising, um, you know, method. Um, and, uh, I think a lot of DAOs governance tokens basically owe that, but a great example of why DAOs were initially conceived and the purpose behind them, I think would probably be closer to what ENS did. Um, and if you look into, because if you look into ENS, a critical function is what's uh, what they call the price controller, which basically we register an ENS name uh, and you need to you need to put some money up front to the protocol to buy the ENS name. And that's not so that you, know, you can line the pockets of people running uh, ENS because that's not really the case for a long time. It was just going to a wallet that nobody could that nobody could touch um, because the idea is that. If there was no cost to it, then people would just mint, you know, infinite names and squat um, on useful names. So they wanted to prevent that. So they created this price controller contract. But the difficulty is you don't really know what's going to be the appropriate cost for something like that over time, especially as you look at inflation. and You don't know, you know, even what currency metrics things are going to be priced at. Um, you know, five, 10, 30 years down the line. So they, that's a example of something that kind of needs to have some level of maintenance to the protocol. Um, and there's other cases like that in ENS. And for all of those reasons, it's complex protocols are very difficult to, to make fully autonomous because there's so many moving parts. So there are a lot of cases where you need somebody or some centralized entity that's making decisions on how the protocol develops and what's happening with the protocol. And in those cases, there is a good argument for why you would want a DAO um, and why in that case, the ENS DAO was a good thing. So um, yeah, I think that topic of decentralized autonomous organizations really has to do with, okay, what is the DAO doing? Is it necessary? And um, is there some benefit, you know, to people participating in it? In the case of Arbitrum, obviously not because <laughs> they weren't even listening to the vote. So, yeah, now that's a good point. And so, I, I think there's different levels of DAOs. I know um, I, I was with you looking at some of these um, tornado cash contracts, and yeah. it's I, I found it interesting that the governance contract um, actually held. Um, you know, cause, cause you can decide, you know, it's all smart contracts, right? If it's truly decentralized, right? If it's not like, you know, vote on this and I'll make the change, you know, if it's actually decentralized, um, you know, you code in what governance can do. Um, and I was looking at 
um, it, all, all of these tornado cash contracts, they are, um, they're all proxy contracts, which means it's a, you know, a, it's an address, but it'll point to other contracts and you can update which contract it points to. And so, um, the, what that means is that the governance platform on tornado cash could essentially change any contract to anything, you know, it wasn't, you know, it's not like they just needed, uh, like, it's not like, I, I, and I don't know what ENS looks like. I, I don't know what the, that DAO actually has control over, you know, if it's simply a number, like that's one thing, like, that's great. You know, all you can change is that number. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but if, uh, I, I don't know, I would worry about, um, and luckily tornado cash is something you <laughs> aren't keeping funds in, right. You're just processing them through. Right. But like, I, I might worry about, you know, if, if they could change a contract that and add a claim function so they can claim yeah. the stuff in it. Um, uh, but there, there definitely is a case I think to be made for wanting to change certain things. And it doesn't have to be governance. It could be ownership, but then that's centralized. But, um, I just, I, when I first got in the space, um, I, know that there were enough um there were enough tokens the the like the hype of the not hype the what's the word i want to use like the standard of the day was to launch a token and then to like renounce ownership of it you know so that like oh look i don't own it now you know or or to mm -hmm. you know lock it or to burn the liquidity tokens or things like that and so that you you know are like look my hands are are free from it um and then you had certain um i know pancake swap did this and i i imagine like uniswap is on v3 right now right so um <laughs> you have the exchange the decentralized exchange upgrades to a new thing and sure the contracts still technically work but now like uniswap like the app only connects to the you know most recent version of liquidity pools and so like now all of my tokens, all of my liquidity is locked in this older one and there's nothing I can do because I renounce ownership. I can't even pull the liquidity to move it somewhere else. I I don't know. Like mm -hmm. there, there, so I'm with you. Like there definitely is rationale to have like, um, depending on what other conditionals exist, right? Whether it's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, I'm dependent on Uniswap somehow. I'm dependent on, you know, um, the price of Ethereum, you know, uh, there, yeah. there, whatever dependencies exist, there definitely are cases to be made to, you know, retain control over something. And then, yeah, it's great if you give that to governance, let the people control it. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I get, I get frustrated when projects lock up liquidity because, or, and they just hold it for an unending amount of time. And then, I'm 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 in a couple of projects where it's like that where it's like you definitely feel like you're an early seed investor and you're like I don't know if I'm ever going to get my money back for 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 being in some of this these projects and it's just like is everything okay like it's just like hello are you still there and it's like you see the number, but then that's kind of funny because then we talk about like money and the value of money and the number of it. And it, it just kind of makes you laugh because it's like, huh, what is money? And honestly, with crypto, it kind of makes it just seem like a number at the end of the day. Um, what are some of your thoughts on uh, some of these like peer to peer DAOs where they're trying to like take, uh, they're trying to get the blockchain out of the picture. So essentially like taking the Bitcoin or Ethereum off the contracts 
So it's not the smart contracts interacting with each other when we send ETH back and forth, but kind of more of a peer-to-peer swap. Uh, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Because I like looking at for projects and DAOs that are specializing in ways to use crypto that avoids all the other fees that come with moving uh, Ethereum or Bitcoin um, around. I'm not sure what your guys' thoughts are, but it, it kind of <laughs> takes like kind of takes some of that out of the equation. I just like looking at DAOs that are providing other use cases for cryptocurrencies. I haven't heard of this, but it sounds like the DAO is acting like a side chain or a second layer. Yeah. In a way. Can you give me an example? I've never heard of this either. Yeah. uh, Phone and DAO. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting. The whole, the whole premise of what they're trying to do is create a, is create a way to allow people to transact using uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and without um, a lot of the gas fees or things like that. So those are just, I like looking at projects that are helping to add onto the utility of crypto itself because it is still a, it's, it's still a very inefficient uh, way to move money sometimes when you look at the gas fees and other fees that are associated with it from time to time, I, I, I shouldn't say from time to time all the time, basically. So, yeah. And just based on your description, it sounds to me like the DAO is acting like a custodian and people are exchanging notes of ETH between each other that the DAO is actually holding. Therefore there's no gas fees until you request it from the DAO, I guess, and settle it. Back okay. There. That's so, my guess. So essentially, it's like, essentially, it's you, like, sorry, you need to hope that they don't lose liquidity, though, right? Because if they start if they start losing their liquidity, that could get that could get pretty risky. Yeah, it's more like you hope that um, you don't have another the DAO hack. Sure, <laughs> sure. Because uh, then everybody loses their money. It's it's like a, it's like the central bank that holds all the gold, and then they issue uh, fiat currency that represents the gold, and you transact with that. And then if you want the gold, you go back to the bank and you exchange your fiat note for the gold value. I'm going to ask that question. This is just totally a guess, though, because I've never heard of this before. I'm going to ask the question. In the I'm in the Discord. Out. Oh, okay. I'm gonna, I'm great. gonna I'm gonna beg the question later. <laughs> Um, Spe- speaking of, so the DAO hack, right? Um, there, I I know there's was another DAO hack. Gosh, I can't think of. It was like Bean or something, finance. And there is, it, it was interesting. There was something written in the code that uh, I, I could get into it if you want. But uh, anyway, so we have DAO hacks. Not every DAO is hacked, but I, what are some of the downsides to a DAO? Like, like where, where do we see them failing? Arbitrum is a great one. Where do they end? Which failed, you know, or, God, I don't want to say it failed. I, I'm not sure where it'll go, but it, you know, the governance failed because it was centralized, yeah. right? So it wasn't so, uh, something in so hand. Sometimes, but, so sometimes with like Uniswap, even like there are certain like groups or entities or parties that own X amount of the tokens to create influence when community votes come about. And that can sometimes be an issue when the wrong group or the wrong party get a hold of so much of your of your DAO token or governance token and create too heavy of an influence 
amidst the community if you're trying to actually like implement some positive upgrades or changes and you have this one group that just has compromised the project and is just kind of a stick in the mud it's like well what's the point here time to abandon ship and just go do something else so um that could sometimes be something to be wary of uh from a from a dao perspective uh yeah sorry what was your original question about just like what ways have DAOs like yeah like oh, right. brain said how could you be wary of them like how have they yeah. failed or like what are some of the problems we're seeing even if they haven't technically failed so so that's a good one right if if you start to see things go the wrong way or i feel like i've seen you know just go off what brandon said i feel like i've seen a lot of people talk about DAOs that like not a lot of people vote because you know they're too small and they realize their vote doesn't make a huge difference right and it sounds like democracy around us as well right uh, a lot of people don't vote because they feel like it won't make a difference but uh anyway so yeah what what are some of the problems we're seeing what are some of the the pitfalls yeah i i think kind of um to take like the opposite pitfall from what brandon mentioned like okay you can have like one um one entity that's sort of hogging and uh you know preventing votes from passing or something um, but the other case, and I, th I feel like this one happens too often is there really is no, uh, no way to prevent like collusion in democratic forms of government. Um, it, it was kind of interesting. This is something cause v Vitalik's the one who originally theorized the idea of a DAO. And I feel like it's, I'm not even gonna say, I feel like, like it's taken, uh, a number of, twists and turns from what his original conception was to what it is now. But um, I would say if anybody's been like theorizing and thinking about this um, the most, it would be Vitalik. I don't think anybody knows more than he does about DAOs and uh, kind of the potential ways that they can work out. Uh, and this was his comment is just that once, once you realize this, that there's nothing that can, uh, you know, like prevent collusive forces and, um, uh, just basically that that kind of problem by votes, bribing, um, all those sorts of things. Like you realize there really is no system that's perfectly robust against attacks. Um, and so that's my qualm with DAOs in general is just we're speaking about Web3. We're talking about uh, it's uncensorable. Um, it's immutable. Um, you know, it's it totally once something happens, there's no retconning it can't it can't be changed can be modified and with DAOs, that's not really the case because as long as somebody can raise enough voting power then they can change whatever the DAO has the ability to change so democratic governance is not new like it's the same thing we've been doing for the last what 300 years plus right mm -hmm. yeah um and there's there's really not a whole lot of new innovation there, even in Web3. Uh, it's the same problems. So the question is not like, uh, you know, what's like, what's the, I don't know. The question is not what's the problem with DAOs. The question is like, um, how can we not use DAOs, I feel like, would be what Web3 people should be asking if they want to try to achieve, achieve the true Web3 vision. Like, how can we automate everything? And then we just have to realize that there's problems with DAOs and we're going to have to deal with them. 
I I do to flip that question more optimistically. I think there might be a question like, can DAOs fix the problems we see in traditional democracy? Right? It, like, yeah. is are there things we could do, you know, and hard code them in such that it would uh, fix some of these problems? I I don't know. You know, maybe it adds yeah. a layer of transparency, but um, even then, it it not everything can be transparent. You're right. I mean, like if if you know, I was in a DAO and um, somebody walked to my house and put a gun against my head and made me sign, you know, yes on the vote. Like that's not represented on chain. All you saw was I voted yes, right? Like you can't yeah. see like any of the, anything that happens off chain. Um, so uh, as an extreme example, right? That's never happened to me, but uh, yeah, the, uh, yeah. So I, I do think, um, so it is interesting to say that you know, none of it can. I know Vitalik at one point had said he was against, um, uh, you know, transferable um, governance tokens, because that essentially means that um, someone who's rich can buy all the voting power. Right. Um, but then you're right. He has since then, I think, said you're always going to run into an issue where you could bribe people if you somehow guaranteed one person per vote, like you could pay people to vote. Right. You could. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's hard. Well, no, I want you to I want you to talk more about this actually because I think that's kind of a good. I think there is something that could be done to solve that problem if we can move away from something that's based on like market forces. I think we could solve a lot of DAO problems. Like if you could remove the idea of participating in a DAO from like you know trying to pump somebody's bags, um, you wouldn't have a lot of DAOs that are basically created now just to try to raise funds. One. And, uh, and two, you won't have a lot of the games that are played within DAOs to, um, you know, to pump, to pump the individual holders bags either. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that would solve a lot of problems. What, what Vitalik was just saying is that, yeah, you do have to realize that on some level, like democratic governance is never going to solve, you know, the problem of decentralization. Um, and I do just want to quote him, right? Cause it was such a good quote, but I, and I wrote it down here. He said, once you drop the assumption that every single participant is making decisions independently, and once you realize that in any, any kind of system, people are going to form subgroups, people are going to talk to each other, people are going to collude with each other, there is no governance system that is completely robust against attacks. That being said, that's a totally different thing from like market forced, yeah. uh, market forces and like, uh, you know, those types of decentralized governance tokens. So yeah, is there a way we can make DAOs that aren't based on buying governance tokens? Yeah, so I I do want to mention. Um, gosh, I feel like I really want to throw this one example as as a bad example um, first, and then I want to mention a good example. But um, there is a, a DeSci project, so decentralized science project called Vita Vita DAO, and they are you know the DAO is centered around making pharmaceutical things and um, you know creating like intellectual property um, NFTs, um, and they. Um, in a more extreme way, it wasn't just that like, oh, the rich people bought enough governance, but um, it, it, it was just kind of funny to see. Um, and so I kind of want to call them out because it is very interesting and kind of against Web3 principles. Um, they opened a round for funding and they allowed people to be, I forgot what term they used, but they were like, you know, special contributors, you know, if they, if they participate in this funding round and you had Pfizer um, participate in this funding round. Um, and it's like, Ooh, is Pfizer interested in web three? Um, but part of the, 
um, part of being a special contributor meant that they um, could be like first in line to purchase any, you know, intellectual property that's produced by the um, DAO. And so like, that's one way that the DAO would raise money, right? Is they generate intellectual property, then they sell what a it crock. to other people. But yeah, so it's like Pfizer essentially like by Jeez. investing half a million dollars, like they, they <laughs> outsource their um, uh, R&D, right? They, they, whatever the DAO creates, they're like, all right, yep, we're first in line to buy it. Um, anyway, it, it cracked me up, cracked me up. Um, we lost Brandon over that. It was too much for him. Um, <laughs> he's back. Um, no, I thought that was, uh, that was just funny as, as a bad example of DAOs as a good example of DAOs. And, and this is interesting. Um, I've seen Gitcoin. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Gitcoin, um, but they have this grants program. Um, and the way it works is there's a certain amount of like governance or voting power, but it is, um, it's about how much money you donate. And so it's not like I'm going to get richer from this. It's like, if I, you know, want, you know, I, I'm going to support a cause by donating. Right. So it's, it's not like I'm buying governance tokens to get richer. Um, and the way the governance works, it's kind of hard to explain it. Um, they, uh, essentially like if a, if a, project gets like a hundred dollars donated by one person, you know, it gets matched a certain amount. If you had, instead of like a hundred by one person, you had like $10 by 10 people, you know, 10 people each gave $10, you know, it get matched even more. There's it's, they use some form of quadratic voting, you know, which is to say that, um, you know, we're going to scale, not linearly, you know, by a certain metric, but we're going to kind of combine different metrics together. And so they, um, uh, which is, sorry to go on a side tangent here, but um, I do think DAOs are interesting. I don't know if they're the first ones to use quadratic voting, but um, like they definitely can experiment with different voting styles, right? Like in in the system, you know. Um, so, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I, I like um, I like DAOs from like an experimental perspective. Like, can we do? What can we do? Can we push the bounds of governance? So, anyway, so I think Gitcoin is interesting because it's 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 market because it's still money, but it's like, it's not a get rich because it's not like I'm buying this and I hope they'll go up in value. It's like, I'm donating this to whatever cause, whatever project. Um, so anyway, I don't know if that kind of gets away from the market forces or not. Kind of hits like, I don't know, a little bit like what Balaji talks about in the network state a little bit in terms of like DAOs and having like, it's not like, but the beauty of DAOs is that it doesn't confine you to your like local region. Now, like obviously like you guys were sharing stuff like Wyoming DAO, Utah DAO, essentially like obviously we get what those probably mean, but like shoot, even, even certain exchanges were offering like, n like New York coin or like stu stuff like that. And so there's definitely a push for some of that, some of that DAO-ish governance on the blockchain from a from a local standpoint or from like a city or a state standpoint. But I, I think that Balaji in the network state hits the uh, hits the DAO um, thing on the head, where it's like the beauty of it is we can align with a lot of people uh who have the same values as we do but we don't have to be in the same um 
we don't have to be in the same location. Now, obviously, it definitely goes into some of that uh, technological utopianism that we we need to have an episode dispelling. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of those guys kind of kind of like that. You know, the Kevin Roses, Tim Ferrises, Bologies, they like to talk about that, and uh, it's not necessarily what we believe as Christians um, because we know we're not made for this world. But I do agree with Bology to a point in the network state where it's like this is a really great opportunity to have that parallel polis that Michael Matheson Miller talks about in regards to just being able to have nice things with people that align with us from a value standpoint, belief system, all things considered. So uh, I guess as we're, as we're closing out here, just kind of talking about how can we, um, how can we build DAOs that can potentially lead us in those directions where we're using them as means of unifying each other and building communion with one another. And I think that that's a very great way um, that a DAO can be utilized, especially in the church today. Like, shoot, I'd, I'd, I'd love a, a Catholic DAO if it made sense and it was sound, it, it was about the sound concepts that um, I firmly believe the church to be based upon, or at least what it should be. And are those principles being utilized uh, to the fullest? So yeah, that's just um, kind of what I just wanted to throw out there as we uh, have our closing thoughts here. Not to be, I'll, I'll let Matt uh, have the last word on that. Um, Cause not, I don't want to be like the, the, uh, what do you call it? The stick in the mud, the never ending negative, negative person. <laughs> but um, like, I, I just, I'm not bullish on DAOs because I don't really think that there's anything particularly special about that idea that we can, you know, communicate across borders. And it's just like, okay, but like, we've been able to do that for forever. Like we have discord servers, we have, you know, and it's, um, it just Democrat it's DAOs, at least DAOs as we define them today, um, or at least as we see them in practice today, it's just, it's an old idea. It's democratic governance. And, in many cases, it's probably necessary because we haven't figured out how to automate everything. But I think the true vision of Web3 is to have a fully automated protocol that it has no it has no centralized entity, whether it be a DAO or a single individual or a government that can take away somebody's right to use that protocol and to to access the functions that that protocol you know enables. So. What I think DAOs, what we need to think of DAOs as a basically a necessary evil in the space at the moment. And the ideal for any protocol should be to become fully immutable, locked, deployed to the blockchain, and no backdoors edit it. That should be the ideal. And so we should limit every case of using a DAO that we can. Um, and I mean, People, people communicating cross borders, people organizing, like these are beautiful things and these are things we need to continue to do. I just, I don't like that that's being attached to Web3 in such a way that people think that like Web3 is bringing this and therefore like this is something that we need to continue to promote and see more of in Web3. Um, I think that it's really opposed to the idea of what Web3 is. Um, but, you know, that's just the way I see it, I guess. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I I always take a little more optimistic approach. Oh, before I, I final thoughts, just um, Brandon, you mentioned the Utah and Wyoming stuff. Uh, I share that it is um, interesting, so I'd encourage anyone to look it up. Um, it's not a Utah Dow or a Wyoming Dow, but um, those states and a few other states have um, uh, written laws and regulations for Dows, um, and some of them recognize them as legal entities, so you can create a Dow in you know one of these states and you know it might be treated like an llc you know that doesn't have a single head but it's you know kind of run by this governance so um definitely interesting in terms of adoption um some of the stuff going on there um but uh, yeah no to be optimistic again i don't know whether quadratic voting like who came up with the idea first but i've seen it done in DAOs and in governance and i've seen it i've i've heard of examples of it being used in real world cases you know um and so i i think it's a good experimental ground and um i think whatever work people are doing now will lay um lay the groundwork for um governance things that we have right now outside of you know off chain you have corporations that have shareholders who vote um in a web three world they become uh you know shares become tokens and and they can vote through a contract right um you know i'd love to see you know a more verifiable something on chain if, if we had elections on chain that'd be great you know and we could verify you know without seeing someone's identity but we can verify how many people voted you know and, and votes one way or another I, I think that would be incredible for transparency so um i'm um Anyway, I'm always excited about the future, excited to see what people are doing. Um, and I, I, I view DAOs as, you're right, maybe DAOs as DAOs might not um, live for too long, but I think a lot of the stuff they're doing will be useful, valuable in one way or another. Brandon, close us out. So ultimately, uh, DAOs are... Well, not necessarily neutral, but not necessarily bad, but maybe not necessarily good. All depends on who's behind uh, the Wizard of Oz curtain, basically, uh, you know, projecting the illustrations. So take our uh, take our advice. Take this episode with a grain of salt. Um, we'd really appreciate just some feedback on your opinions on DAOs in the comment section, just to help further the conversation. Um, and maybe uh, maybe persuade us, uh, maybe dissuade us, depending on how we're feeling that day when we get them. Um, but yeah, ultimately, tell us about some DAOs that um you all are privy to that we might not know about um that might be worth at least you know giving a look i, I mean even though you know connor's thoughts and sentiments are are similar to to mine uh in in certain regards even though i do enjoy looking at the dow projects and i understand that that's where people should go if they want to potentially work in web3 right now um i do understand where connor's coming from so uh, just sh send us some projects to look at and just to maybe maybe see it, it we we enjoy the opportunity to learn more about the space as we continue uh growing and sharing our thoughts with all of you uh please continue to share your thoughts with us as well and um other than that uh it's been a great episode we look forward to you know keep uh keep dishing these episodes out i, I think this episode's going to be uh released on easter so happy easter everybody uh look forward to 
seeing you all in the Easter season. As uh, as Catholics, we celebrate Easter for uh, for a long time. Um, I don't know how long Connor celebrates Easter for, but um, regardless of that, we hope you all have a blessed Easter, and uh, we hope that you all uh, get to spend some time with your families, and we will look forward to seeing you all in the next episode. Uh, God bless.